This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. For me, I really like corn. What do you like about corn? It's corn.
Zawete, Mihi Nomen Est, Stella, Ed Hoc Est, Backroll the Oracle, The Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 226 for October MMXXII. And here's a nice little apple cider that I will be drinking throughout the duration of this episode. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, this episode seems to have been waiting to be recorded for a long time. I've been putting it off and putting it off. You'd think after Dear Reader Finish that I would feel more energy for podcasting, but I'm kind of still in this podcasting fatigue. Not to mention October has just been a whirlwind with lots of social activities that I've been required or asked to join in with. And we're still not over. I've got something this weekend, something next weekend. It's crazy. And midterms. This week is midterms. But I need to get this done in order for an episode to come out in October. So here we are. And I'm hoping. I'm hoping that I will make it. So I do want to, of course, start off speaking on my trip to Cape Cod, technically T-Ticket, Massachusetts, to visit Harry Harold Harrison, the Fishman Shoot, which I will from time to time called Right Round Shoot, because that's his name. And I'll try to go through this quickly because I know that some people don't like these long intros, but I made it back. And remember, there's this question of would either of us survive? So we did both survive. There was a, a strangulation from myself to Harry, but he had it coming. And as Chicago fans know, when he had it coming, bad things happen. He had it coming. He had it coming. He only had himself to blame. If you'd have been there, if you'd have heard it, I bet you, you would have done the same. So, yeah, I'll just go, you know, I actually kind of kept a journal or tried to refresh and I'll just try to quickly go through everything. But, you know, a question on all of your minds might be, maybe not, why was I even going up there now? Was it just a friendly visit like I've done for Josh and Don? Was it something else? Now, the reason was that Harry had something pretty substantial planned for his immediate future. And I'm not going to say because it leads to a bamboozlement. And I think it's it's really known uh, no one's business except for, you know, whom he wants to involve. And I was someone involved. So I'll just keep it to myself. But he was going to do something pretty important. And this involved physical activity for a sustained duration, about two years or so. And now this poor this poor guy, I was watching what he was doing. In New York City. And there's a lot of walking in New York City. So if you're not used to cardiovascular activity, it's going to be rough. And sure enough, there were some times during our walk. Remember that he and Donovan got us lost. There was a lot of walking on Sunday. Hands on the knees, kind of, you know, 
little fatigued. And if Donovan turned around and asked, was he okay? He's like, yeah, I'm just joshing. That guy was not joshing. So knowing that this substantial thing was going to happen, it's on the horizon. It's going to happen or begin happening in October. I was concerned and I knew that this guy needs to get some physical activity in his body. And you know that I love to help people out with whether they want to be helped out or not. But it's usually from the goodness of my heart, honestly. So I offered, I said, hey, if you find a 5K in your area around that time, October, so before you get started, I will, I'll go up there and I'll run it with you. And so this would give incentive of training. So we were going to, we found one pretty immediately. And I should also say that I sort of cold contacted his mother on Facebook and said, here's my idea. But I know about this right round character and that it kind of pushes things off. And so would you be there to kind of needle him and encourage him and get him going? He's like, yeah, she said, yeah, if you find a race and he signs up for it, I'll encourage him and keep him on track. So we found a race pretty quickly and I got train tickets months in advance, probably June, I think. And so I would say generally, I, I'm not super consistent. I've been, I don't know what it is. I think it's just like, there's so much going on in my life that sometimes working out and stuff is is lower on the priority and I just want to sleep instead. So I'm not as consistent, but in general, I could I could go out and this sounds like bragging, but I could go out and run three miles and I would be okay, even if there's been like a week gap. I have to be careful because my IT band, I can get re-injured very quickly. If I haven't run, it gets really tight. And then that throws me off for weeks at a time. So I do have to be careful, but generally like I, I keep fit enough that I can do that. But of course I'm going to try to do more. It's always good to maybe do one to two miles longer than your actual race run. And so I'm encouraging him, encouraging him. And I find out I guess there are like two two things. So first of all, something I learned in my friendship with Right Round is that, and that's really his name. I mean, you'll have to ask him for more details, but it's literally his name. Right Round, I've learned some things in gaming because we have gaming dates every Wednesday. If he says maybe, you know, maybe like that, it means no. He just, I, he's not confident enough to say no to people. I think made his own hers feelings. Something else I have learned about him is that he will deliver crucial, potentially life altering, but, you know, general, yeah, important information very casually. So we had just watched a film, I'm pretty sure it was Prey, and tucked in at the end of a statement was because I'm not blank, which that blank is that life altering event that I had said he was no longer doing it. And I'm like, well, wait, what, what is this? And so then there's some awkward laughter. Then he explained what was going on and I had to instruct him as I think that frankly, I should do some life teachings and lessons motivational speaker to sort of help people out. So I told him that this is not the way to tell important information. And next time, you know, let people know. So if he ever gets engaged, hopefully he'll start off. But he did not take that lesson to heart because I had not 
been nagging him about training. I would ask like, how's it going? And he would tell me a little bit. And he had told me that he had, it wasn't as good. Like he didn't, he didn't want to tell me. I'm like, that's fine. I don't want to get stressed out either. I said, just don't embarrass me at the race basically. And he had gotten injured at one point checking in on him. He's, he seemed confident that it would kind of wear off and we were playing a video game i'm pretty sure and unfortunately that life lesson that i offered about hey you know you set aside a breath or a space in your conversation for important notifications that didn't keep with him because at the tail end of something like that i think getting pretty close to the race maybe the week of i would say are you nervous Race as well as me visiting, you know, um, just kind of checking a temperature check. And I think this time he said something along the lines, well, you know, not as nervous now that I won't be running the 5K. So again, tail end of something. So I was not only bamboozled once because I was dragged up to T-Ticket because I thought this guy was going somewhere. And then I was bamboozled twice because the reason I was up there, <laughs> the secondary reason, he wasn't even going to run the race. So just a preface. So I'll now call him the bamboozler. I'll transition from right round to the bamboozler. And for that reason, if you recall, I rate in terms of movies uh, what what the rating would be, the parental guidance for for visits and, you know, the professor, because she's a bully, I, I call it NC-17 because I have to really <sighs> calm my heart down and sort of recover afterwards. And this one was definitely X-rated because, uh, well, we'll get into all of this stuff, but the bamboozling started off us off pretty badly. And then some things with some video games went pretty badly. So again, even though I'm using X and I know that generally has a connotation attached with it, there is no, uh, <laughs> I was going to say oingo boingo. That's not it. There were, there were no sexual things going on. I was staying in his parents' place. It's just how I identify because it's just extreme. So we'll see. So Friday, long train ride. So that's another thing. He bamboozled me for a 10 and 11 and really reverse 11 and 10 hour train ride is crazy. I told him that I definitely needed to that night when I got there it was about seven or eight. I think when we finally got back, I needed to go on a walk because uh, my IT band is just it's very it needs some love. So if I'm sitting for a long time and then don't do anything like no stretching or no activity, then when I start to run, it's really tight. And so because the race was the next day, I just knew, knew I needed to do something. So really Friday was coming into Rhode Island. Uh, Providence was where the train dropped me off. He picked me up. We had about an hour and a half ride, which that was harrowing because that guy goes 15 to 20 over. I was a bit scared for my life. But I thought, well, this will certainly make for a good story if I die. And then, yeah, just dropped stuff off and ended up going on a, a walk in the dark just to get things going. Didn't stay up too late because obviously the, the race was on Saturday and I generally wake up two to three hours before a race. So I woke up at five or 5.15, something like that, and had some some breakfast, And which I've really, I don't think I've spoken of this, but I've really started adopting Swiss breakfast habits, which I feel like, you know what, as an aside, I feel like a much healthier person since I left the hospital, mentally, emotionally, and then physically as well. I've, I've 
mostly have been exercising and everything, but I've been fitting into clothes that I haven't been wearing for a while, you know, way back, like first, second year of teaching. I'm like, oh, wow, you know, these fit again. There might have been a problem with all of that. So muesli is something that I, I generally have every every day, which is oats and nuts and some dried fruit. And then I put it in some yogurt and let it sit overnight. And it's just really good. So got that from, from the Swiss and, and going over there. So anyways, made some muesli. I had taken like a little, little ounce packet, which probably was like the same size that drug dealers would use. And so I had my breakfast and then I was able to read a bit while I was doing that and then did some homework as well, which is great, which is the nice thing about the train rides that I can do some, some grad school work. And he at first was saying, I'll set my alarm for five hundred. I was like, do not set your alarm. Cause there's just no reason for multiple people to be punished, but he was going to go with me. Ian is happening or the tail end. It has happened. It's kind of, so it's rain, rain the entire time. So I am very appreciative that he came with me and and stood in the rain. I had rain gear on and then I gave it to him to carry. And I just had a tank top and shorts because the less I have on while running is is better for me. So, of course, I was drenched at the end and I did get sick. I don't know if I got sick because of that or if it was somewhere on the train. But just so you know, race was pretty good. Wasn't my fastest time. I felt pretty good about it. I I think, you know, the rain to a certain extent slows me down. And then also, if I don't know the route, I generally have a slower time because a lot of my, I feel like some of my energy, I shouldn't say a lot, some of my energy is spent often because I don't know where I'm going. Whereas if I do know the route, I that sort of part is turned off and I can focus on something else like breathing or, or pacing or something. So it was a bit slower, but under 30, which I always appreciate. Had an apple cider donut, which is lovely. They also offered clam chowder, which I did not get. That was too early in the morning. I don't want some clam chowder. We then took a brief walk through town to sort of survey what we were talking about. I, I found a place for lunch I wanted to go to. I was probably a bit obnoxious because I kept asking basically every time we were driving or walking, have you been there? Da, 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 da. And he hadn't. So a lot of this, I think, this trip, I got him to do some things that he may not have normally. So it's still raining and we're going to go return to the car. And I thought he knew where he was going, but guess what, friends? He did not. We did get lost returning to the car. He may argue otherwise, but honestly, you know, you're going to take my word for it because I don't lie. I, I tell you different things. And I thought, is this the moment where I get murdered? But the bamboozer did not. Warm shower. We're going to go to this place that I saw called the pickle jar. I'm just by name alone. I'm like, I think this could be a great place. And then, of course, do a little bit of research and see what they offer. And it looks pretty good. But we do play some games. We play some all on the Nintendo, if I recall correctly, some Mortal Kombat 4, Mario Tennis and Mario Party. And Mario Party, I do have a couple stories involving that. Oh, my gosh. Um we were playing this. I, let's just say that <laughs> there was a time when I asked, like, how space the rooms were. And Harry said, do you think we're going to be hooting and hollering? Because I was, in fact, worried about that. And I started laughing. He started laughing as if that's not going to happen. Anyone who knows me knows that I do get worked up and I do start hooting and hollering. 
there was one game where these gophers, you're in these holes and you're supposed to pop up and hold it, hold yourself out for as long as possible. Or these gophers come and hit you. So it's kind of like a reversal. They've, they've taken the bath back to power. And I, I won, I think all times that we played this, but there was one time this gopher was hanging over my hole and I jumped up out of my seat and yelled, that's goaltending. <laughs> which is a basketball term. But I was 100% serious when I jumped up and shouted, that's goaltending. So these are just some things that happened. There was also this ball rolling in Mario Party, and I was I was yelling, laughing, all the emotions at Harry because we were partners on this. And it was just terrible. I was yelling and asking, are you actually touching the ball? Because I think he was Peach at that point or the other girl. I don't remember her name. And it didn't look like it. And then there was this terrible one called Battery Ram. And at first, we just had CPU as partners. And I had Luigi. I was always Yoshi. And he was ridiculous because he was not I was just yelling because he wasn't doing anything. And then Harry and I tried to do this, this battery ram as well. And that there's lots of yelling there. We had the pickle jar for lunch, which is great. If you're in wherever we were downtown tea ticket, maybe Uh, I recommend it. We walked through town again, still raining. And I like to do, uh, you know, I usually get probably one souvenir. So I was doing some basically looking to see what sorts of deals there are and and what sort of items there are. And then I compare and then I choose one at the end. So, which I did. Also found an ice cream place. And now Harry knows how much I love pumpkin. Did they have pumpkin ice cream? They did. I got super excited. We walked out. We did go back later. We returned. We played the rest of the mini games. And of course, just had some frustration with the battery ram and the ball. Uh, we had a brief call with Batrick Whisperer, a.k.a. Donovan Morgan Ramp. Had pizza with the, the shoot primaries, as I'll call them. Lovely people. I've added them to my parental collection, which is great. And then Harry and I went to go get the pumpkin ice cream at uh, Gelfie's Premium Chocolates in Falmouth. And... He did not get that. I think he got mint chip or something, but pumpkin was great. And then (laughs) I did the, oh, 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 okay. We watched a movie. I was, I offered this doc to Harry to see, hey, you want to add anything? And I'm seeing something that he added. Maybe I added it. I don't know. But we watched a movie. I had said that I was going to bring a movie. And so I thought, well, do you want to watch Ghost in the Shell? And I really have no interest in Ghost in the Shell, mostly because I don't care to see a naked woman running around for 90 minutes or so. But I thought, you know, you really love it. And I'm I'm bringing something. So, you know, all is equal. And uh, I guess he didn't understand kind of this punishment viewing, but it was more like out of love. You know, I am willing to watch this love and friendship. But he ended up saying there's actually a better film called The Road Home, which uh, is a Chinese film. Right. Yes. And I really enjoyed that. And uh, apparently, without me knowing, Harry, in fact, did tear up or cry. It says H crying unseen. I don't know if I wrote that or he wrote that, but that is true. I found out later. 
Saturday, while we were, or Sunday, I guess, Saturday while we were walking, I did see this breakfast place after the run and that they had pumpkin pancakes. So, of course, I'm overjoyed. So, Sunday, we're going to go get these pumpkin pancakes it's called Shiverick. The doors are closed. The doors are locked. People are inside eating. There's a sign that says handicap entrance to the back. Those doors are also locked. Two people come up, ask what's going on. We also don't know. They end up leaving. I am moments away from typing on my phone and putting it up against the window so someone can see why the door's locked when a couple came out. And uh, we found out that they were just short-staffed and there was only one waitress. So we did go in. We let her know and said, take your time. And it was a longer wait, but we are both patient people. We had conversation and we, the pumpkin pancakes were great. We walked around mash pee after that. And then we did the main event was an escape room. I had never done an escape room. Harry had never done an escape room. So it was an experience. Naively, I thought escape rooms were very, were laid out in a manner that it was clear how to go from one puzzle to another but when i went in there boy was i overwhelmed sensory overload because no they're just all over the place and you're not necessarily sure in which order to go and there's one directly to our left with rings and so i was like well let's sort this out and then afterwards we just weren't sure and it was about 10 minutes and then there's like a hint a helpful hint of like you solved that puzzle and then da 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 and from there it was better but i was getting super discouraged just because i had no idea and now i know because i want to do another one now that i know what it's actually like and we were able to gather some things that like oh th- all of these things have so sy- symbols on them let's use them And in a way, it is good to get a look at everything, because even if you're not going to use something right away, something may spark later on that, oh, hey, this connects to this because you had given a whole survey of the of the thing we finished. It was a pirate theme. We got the treasure, I think, like six minutes, I think, to go. I was getting kind of nervous in the end. And both of us had some aha moments. I was I had threatened that I was going to just sit there or stand there and laugh as Harry figured things out. But we did work together and it was a lot of fun. We then went to the knob at Quisset Harbor Trail and got to see some crazy waves. Everything, yeah, the, the water was just crazy because of, I think, of Ian. Sunday, no rain, but just really blustery. Uh, we we did some more mini games. And at one point, we had to find our way through a maze. And there were just those tubes, those sewer tubes that Mario goes through. And you had to pick up the right ones. And then there's one in the middle. And I had just like jumped in to go in the middle one and win. And Harry had come out of nowhere and pushed me off. And I jumped up out of my chair and hovered like in a threatening way over him. I do think that I scared him. So now he knows. We had a family dinner. We played family Scrabble. After that, we went on the ghost crab search, which is super sad because we didn't find any. We did find a lot of carcasses. Some people on the interweb say carapaces, so maybe they weren't actually dead, but many horseshoe crab carapaces or carcasses. I still feel like many of them were dead, but maybe not. And then we watched Belle, which I enjoyed. I own it, so obviously I enjoy it. Harry didn't like as much. So again, you know, a reason why he and I will never be because we disagree on nearly every sort of form of media there. And then we also played Gears of War too. I was barely making it. I was was very tired. Monday, we were considering going to Martha's, Martha's, Martha's Vineyard. I wanted to go there. But with the weather and then all these suggestions that the family were making, I was like, no, that's closed. That's closed. I thought, man, is it even worth it? So because technically we were off season. So I think April through August or something is 
in season. So I'll just have to return again and and visit that. We did see Nopska Lighthouse, which is great. We went to Woods Hole and saw the Oceanographic Institution Visitor Center and Store. We played more Mario Party. We finally got the Battery Victory, which was great because we would have broken up after that, I I think, because of all the yelling and such. We surveyed potential swimming holes, which, yes. So Mama Shoot, uh, I think, instigates, but it, it seems to be a family tradition where the shoots swim to a buoy and back. Now the buoys were taken, but I was very willing to do this, even though it might've been cold. She said that she's done it in January. I think she's like me, someone who can easily manipulate and convince people to do things very sweetly as I do. And so I was willing, but it was just choppy, but then Sunday it wasn't too bad, but, or Monday, I guess, but we ended up not doing it. But again, something else. Uh, We had lunch at sweet rice Took a brief homework break because I needed to do some stuff. And Harry, I think, filled out uh, some things. And then we did a podcast that had been stewing for a bit on the Resident Evil TV show and Prey. That was fun to be in person. We had dinner with the Shoot Primaries at a nice restaurant, which is great. I think that was that dinner was the most surprising and rewarding because we talked about religion, politics, abortion came up, death penalty came up, and it was all a lovely conversation. No one was getting angry at anyone. I thought, this is great. But I also told Mama Shoot that I disagree with your son on, on nearly everything. Like, we do not agree. But I think to clarify, because he and I know what we're talking about, it's like in in terms of media, because I think a lot of things... We do align with uh, certain moral or ethical things you might differ on, but definitely like, yeah, uh, maybe video games, but mostly movies and things like that. And then uh, Monday evening, we watched Over the Garden Wall. And again, Harry didn't like that, but I, of course, love that. And Tuesday was just the train ride back and the dog. There was a dog there the entire time. It was Harry's eldest sister's dog because she was on her honeymoon and apparently this dog cannot be left alone so he was with us and so i was just dropped off and then they they skirted away so overall a very fun trip we both survived i think there's always a question or a wondering at least on my you know when you are going to spend time with someone for the first time and a significant amount of time alone how's that going to work out because generally i just hang out with harry well online obviously but that's different and then if donovan's there and so this was like sustained what's going to happen but it turned out i think it turned out well you'd have to talk with him and, and see how it was but i had a lot of fun and mama shoot is a delight I loved her accent, and so I had been trying to bring bring the the A's back in there. But you know, she's got a story about shaking hands with Barack <laughs> um, after the the Boston Marathon bombing that she kind of adjacently knows Mark Wahlberg, and she is related to Peter Griffin. I kid you not. So I think that's that's basically it because no one I think that has visited. The shoots listen to this show. I will say that Mama Shoot said that I was her best and favorite guest. And so that's really all I want because I try to have or leave a, a small footprint. And so as long as that hooting and hollering didn't get too crazy, then we're good. I'll be invited back maybe again sometime. So so thank you to all of them. And thank you to Right Round the Bamboozler for allowing me to uh, to do that. 
Okay, well, that's it for the intro, long intro. I apologize, but there you go. You get a sense of what happened. That was pretty, you know, finding my joy. But if we were to go to Shag's Mac and Cheese Comfort and Joy segment, I will say that something super amazing that happened is discovering what the corn song, the the origins of the corn song. Now, on Reels, in Instagram, I, I suppose in TikTok as well, I often wonder what the origin is of songs that are used or clips that are being played. And so I will research and see, oh, where this actually come from. So uh, I have been seeing a lot over Corgi vi- videos for me, I really like corn. And I'm like, what is this? What is this about? But of course, the person says corgis. What do you like about corgis? That ch- I recommend corn kid. Maybe you could re- you could look up, but he is a delight. And he is he's just so cute. His love of corn is precious. And just his positivity, I think, is what this world honestly needs. And I I mean this genuinely that you should look that up. And he's just he's cute. He's 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 wonderful. And I hope that the world doesn't get him down and and he continues to be this bright spot. So that was the song. The intro song is a remix of that. But I do really highly recommend seeing that interview with the quote unquote corn kid. Okay, so we're going to talk some birds of prey. But before that, I do have two quickies from Nightwing. Nightwing 88 Flurry, February 2004 is the cover date. Blockbuster already upped the ante in his bloody vendetta against Nightwing. This time around, he does the unthinkable. So just a couple comments. Yeah, he has a bad dream. Of course, we have to see all this. But at one point, Wally comes and checks in on Babs and actually jokes about Bruce and his feelings. Babs says, aren't you talking to the wrong person, Wally? I mean, you're his best friend. And Wally says, and as his best friend, I'm doing what he'd want me to do. And I'm making sure that you're okay. Sides, Dick's not alone. I'm sure Bruce is talking him through his feelings. And Babs says, no fair, making me laugh. So that was fun. And we've seen Wally check in. And both of them have conversations with each other regarding Dick. So I liked that Devin Grayson brings that back. Art errors abound. We have handles on Bab's wheelchair, as you can see. At one point, is it here? Yeah, Dick grabs his right shoulder, saying it hurt, but later the bandages are on the left, and that is, in fact, he, he was shot on the left side, so that was kind of bizarre. There was a section that I'm sure Donovan would appreciate where Dick pulls a cast and says, nobody dies tonight. Nobody do you understand as the the circus is coming down around him. And then just a beautifully tragic scene at the end where Babs is hearing what happened. He comes wordless. He starts crying in agony. And then, as you can see, this last page where she is cradling him. And then the shadow where you've got Batgirl and Nightwing, which, yeah, Again, yeah, beautifully tragic is definitely how I would describe that. And then we have 89, which its subtitle is Avalanche. March 2004 is the cover date. Blockbuster has surrounded himself 
with the most lethal cadre of assassins ever assembled. Stallion, Lady Vic, Brutale, the Trigger Twins, Mouse, Giz, and an army of gun-laden gangsters. But can even the deadliest of killers stop a hero who has nothing left to lose? So unfortunately, uh, they're still broken up, right? So I'm sorry, Dick, but you have to leave now. She's got his outfit and everything. Uh, He says, yeah, I'm sorry. I just didn't know where else to go. And she says, I know. Baz, is there any chance that we? No. Maybe it was a mistake to let you in last night. I didn't mean to confuse you. I just couldn't turn you away. I still love you, Dick. I'll always love you. But right now, I think it's best if we don't. And he said, right. I guess I'm still living in the past. Sorry. Slams the door and she's crying. Really, quite sadly, Blockbuster blows up Dick's apartment building, killing everyone inside, which is just crazy. And I sort of wonder whether this this era that we're currently in, this arc, these couple of arcs with Blockbuster, if this is Dick's nightfall, because Blockbuster really is going after everything that Dick cares about. And golly, that that <laughs> who. That's a big hit right there. It is interesting that I don't know if we saw this yet, but the captain actually yells his former partner, of course. Yeah, look at that. Yells Dick, out, which only Nightwing is there. So that's problematic. (laughs) I mean, apparently she doesn't know how secret identities work either. And I think that's basically it. I'm interested to see. Ooh. Yeah, we are getting close to, of course, the issue that uh, we all know of. I'll be interested to see what my response is to that. I I have reached out to Devin Grayson. I have another question for her. She has yet to, to reach back. Hopefully she will. But just about the breakup, whether it was something that she had planned, given the evolution of Dick, or was it something DC editorial wanted? And it was up to her creatively to make it fit. So we'll see if she responds to that. But it's interesting that we're seeing the breakup across the board. So it does. it's either Devin Grayson had a huge impact on the Bat books at the time, or it was DC Editorial because, of course, we saw it in Batgirl and we're about to see it in Birds of Prey. So we're moving on. To the main event, which is Birds of Prey, Secret Files, and Origins, and then two issues of Birds of Prey. And I will say that before you criticize me on this, yes, I do know that I'm doing it late and that this probably should have been reviewed right before Gail Simone's arc had started. But because I think Simone even has one of the, yeah, she does. But I, there's already a lot going on. With that episode, and I didn't want to do five, I guess it would have been, issues with the Doctor. So that's why we're doing it now. Okay, so Secret Files and Origins, 2003. August 2003 is the cover date. We've got a couple stories here. End-to-end script, Gail Simone pencils Joe Bennett and inks Jack Jadson. Early one morning, Paul McCannis, editor of the reveal, uh, the Revealer, a superhero supervillain tabloid, unlocks a building only to find Penguin and two of his henchmen waiting for him. Penguin is upset about a story in that morning's paper, and after asking the whereabouts of the girl, proceeds to bomb the building with Mr. McCannis inside. Oracle and Black Canary are watching some celebrity television shows doing a story of questionable merit on Black Canary, featuring an interview with Guy Gardner and erroneously linking Black Canary romantically to other heroes such as Batman and Metamorpho. 
The story ends and the duo see the report on the newspaper bombing. Grabbing the last edition, they discover a story about a woman claiming to have been impregnated by Penguin. At the Iceberg Lounge, two police officers ask Penguin about his whereabouts and several female employees provide him with alibis. After the police leave, the henchmen also leave and are followed by Black Canary, who is hoping they'll lead her to the pregnant girl. They do, and Black Canary is able to rescue the girl whose name is Julie Leanne Briggs. Penguin arrives in a limo, and the villains give chase with one henchman able to shoot Black Canary in the arm. The villains catch up to Canary and Julie in a subway station, but Canary is able to defeat the villains with some help from Julie before passing out. It is established that Penguin is not the father. Julie lied in order to become famous. Oracle arranges for Julie to get a monthly check until the baby graduates from college. And I would disagree slightly with that to get famous. I think it was more that she could take care of her child, but there you go. The henchmen cover for Penguin, so he is not arrested with them, though there is little to charge the henchmen with anyway. I will say that for all of these, I'm not super excited about the art. It's either the art or it's the coloring. I just don't care for it as much. And that's for all the stories. Some are better than others, but just, you know. <laughs> it's not Benna's. Obviously, the the busts are perhaps more manageable, but yeah, just not as attractive in my opinion. I am surprised though, just because secret files usually seem to be be pretty important as an addition to any run. And so I feel like they usually try to bring in some heavy hitters, but I don't know if they hit this one at the park necessarily. I wasn't super impressed with the story, but it seems to have all the traits of a birds of prey story. You've got Don and Babs hanging out. They're going against a male baddie and then helping out that someone is less fortunate and a woman here. So it's kind of the recipe for a classic birds of prey story. Julie shows some similarities to Babs and Dinah, both in the choices that they have made as well as what if situations. So I thought that was pretty interesting, kind of casting Julie as a foil to those two. And Penguin, speaking of art, Penguin is really drawn here monstrously. I mean, here's just this bottom panel. My goodness. It, it always goes back and forth, right? I feel like sometimes he really looks penguin-like and sometimes he's just a regular guy that's kind of plump. But this time we really decided to go for it. And I guess it kind of fits the story with how he doesn't like someone saying this, that he's impregnated them, just using him and no one would have sex with him. And yeah, so it goes along with that. I like that the TV special is ridiculous and how it makes fun of Dinah's history. And of course, you have Guy Gardner, who I don't care for, but it is funny how it's just poking fun at Dinah and her history. And, and she is kind of able to laugh along with it, but at least Babs is for sure. This issue, or the story, I should say, also shows the strength and resolve of Dinah, especially after she gets shot. And it shows her ingenuity with the fake Batman that she worked up. If I can find this with the subway. I mean, she, yeah, she's not passed out. She's got this wound. She puts a cape. She bought a cape or borrowed a cape from a homeless man and then put it on one of those signals. And then it looks like it's Batman. I'm going to give this <laughs> 7 out of 10 Guy Gardner IQ points. The next story is Flipside. Script Paul Sori, pencils Jeffrey Henderson, inks John Stanish. Helena is going after some mob guys who are looking to be high in the drug trade. 
And I guess that could be used either way. They're like high on (laughs) the echelon or the hierarchy, but yeah, they could also be high. They're also experimenting with some new poison that makes people aggressive and strong. She's interrupted by Dinah's arrival. And as things begin to go wrong, they team up and clean up, even though one guy dies. Oracle didn't send Dinah to go after Huntress, but the trail led there. And afterwards, the ladies walk out of the warehouse together, finding common ground. So if there existed a pre-Batgirls purple box, I think that we have discovered it here because there's certainly a question as to who is narrating. It seems like third person initially where it begins, they're literally purple too. It begins, uh, the thug in the pricey suit is Dante Bonino, aka Danny Bones. I knew him when we were kids, back when sweet little Helena had no clue she was mafia princess or that Dante's dad was a leg breaker for the Bertinelli family, my family. So let's see, okay. So maybe I'm wrong. It does seem third person, or sorry, first person, but then I don't know why she refers, she's pulling a Caesar and saying little Helena. Maybe so. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll take it back. But at first, it does really seem third person narrator, and then it switches over to first. And then, yeah, there's like a box that says, Well, that kind of undercut the whole fun of my own bit. That seems more of a someone externally making that comment. I don't know. It's confusing. So I think I'm correct in saying that this is the pre Batgirls purple box, but it's probably meant to be Helena since there is that purple shade, but it's, it's just kind of wonky how it is. I think the biggest takeaway here in this particular story is that Donna and Helena find common ground and can work together, which is great, right? Because in the real world, this is sometimes hard to find that you have a best friend who says negative things about someone and that is going to color what you think about that person. This has happened to me personally. I don't know about, well, at the hospital, probably about me, right? But in when I first started my teaching job, the my predecessor, I heard many bad things from a couple people. And then I just had this negative opinion of her. And later on, I actually apologized for this, like years later. Uh, and we're, I would say, strong acquaintances, you know, on the cusp of being friends. So anyways, You know, this is good on Dinah that she has heard many negative things probably from Babs, but she's giving Helena a fresh start with no prejudgments. And I I like that Helena assumes Dinah is going to get on her for the dead body and blame her for it, even though it wasn't her fault. And then Dinah says, sorry to disappoint. So it's also it's funny, but and it's realistic and it's true. It's also sad that that is her expectation that a member or someone who is in the orbit of Batman is going to assume poor intent or uh, poor performance on Helena and just carry it with them. And it's like, no, that's not, uh, I know that wasn't your fault. Why would I judge you on that? I am not sure. That sounds weird. I'm not sure what gold saucers Helena throws. If I can find this. Yeah, they came. I don't know. Does she have stuff that she throws? That's like that throwing some coins. Think they get lodged? Where is it? Yeah, they hit the backs. I don't know what those are. If anyone knows what those are, I'm going to give this seven out of ten new friendships. And then the final story is who's next? Script Scott Young, art Phil Sinslade, and colors Hi Fi. This is pre Birds of Prey, like way back when, where Babs has the first mission queued up and goes through potential agents, including Fire. 
She can she considers her too flaky. Doctor Fate too creepy. Big Barda too bull in China shop and Huntress last resort before landing on Dinah and giving her a call and a second chance. That's Zoigma, my friends. So I love the fact that Karen says drop dead Oracle when Babs calls because that's 100% in character. It was also interesting to see the other choices that Babs has queued up and Barda does appear on the team. So I wonder if that will be a coincidence or if it's really someone that they had been thinking about, but we're not going to use her yet. It, it was a fun story that I'm sure many people reading Birds of Prey wondered about, like, how did Barbara come to the decision that she had to call Dinah? So I'm glad we had that. And I'm honestly surprised that she even considered Helena. Last resort is right, but I'm just surprised that she didn't. This looks like Bruce Tim artwork. Sorry, I got distracted by this. With Helena there. Huh. Yes, last resort. I'm sure surprised she's not even on the list. Now, in the Wicca, the Wikipedia, which uh, I should say that only the synopsis for the first story came from Wikipedia, but I did find a note said in the third story, Barbara looks through a number of female heroes to choose for a mission. The list includes a female Dr. Fate which could be either Inza Nelson Kramer or Linda Strauss and Argent. However, those two characters have never been active at the same time period. So this is an error. So push up the bridge of your glasses because that was a nerdy comment. But hey, I didn't know. So thank you. And I won't go through the bios. There are bios for Huntress, Batgirl, and Oracle, and then Black Canary. And Edbenes does the art on Black Canary. Who did the art on Lee Lofridge? Interesting. Has a very Bruce Timmy feel. Oh, yeah. You can see the, the Ben is. And then wherever Oracle is. Oh, I see. Yeah, they did Cass and Barbara next to each other, which is pretty cool. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give Who's Next 8 out of 10. I enjoyed that. It was pretty funny, though, where she's looking through a CCTV monitor at Dr. Fade, and then Dr. Fade looks up and is like, mm-mm. Go away. Okay. So a full story now. We have Birds of Prey 60, Feeding the Game, Part 1, December 2003. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Ed Benes, inkers Rob Lay and Alex Lay, probably Rob Leia and Alex Lay and Colors Hi-Fi. Savant, complete with mouth gag, is led through Arkham to an isolated area so that he can't talk to anyone. The guard leading him talks about his deal with a reporter from the revealer that he gives her. Oh, I'm glad we know what the revealer is from whatchamacallit, because when I first read this, I didn't know. The guard leading him talks about his deal with a reporter from the revealer that he gives her tidbits and invasive photos like poison ivy in the shower, which is gross. But that reporter had no idea who Savant was. Elsewhere, Dinah rolls up on a mansion and gets in an inappropriate pat down by security before she tells him what's what. Senator Pullman walks up and saves the security guy before leading Canary away on a quasi duck hunting safari. He explains he had a work relationship with Savant, and now that he's locked away, he needs the discs. You know which discs we're talking. Canary says she saw the discs burned slash burn the disc herself and lets the senator know this whole meeting has been filmed by the JSA. He's not buying it. And we see back at the clock tower that Babs and the real Dinah are there helping Huntress. Dresses Black Canary walk through the mission. Babs fumbles through trying to tell Dinah she still has a copy of the information, but Dinah interrupts, so she never gets to. And Huntress completes the mission, all the while making fun of the fishnets. 
Babs begrudgingly admits that Huntress did a good job fitting in. And Dinah tells her to get over the fact that she slept with Dick. Oh, Babs applauds Dinah for her role in the mission and promotes her to staying behind at the tower behind the computer. But Dinah says on top of being undercover as a stripper or hooker, she wants no part of being near computers. She attempts to navigate with a wheelchair, but ends up falling out, proving Babs's point about her injuries and making some statements that connect Babs' concern with Dinah and her concern with Dick. Back at Arkham, Sivan is getting beat up by a guard who is actually not deaf, but was planted there by the senator in order to get information on Oracle. Savant says he can take the beating, but wavers when Creote is mentioned. Could he also like Creote? I don't know. Well, his only friend. At the clock tower, Babs says Dinah's heart is going to get her killed, and Babs can't take any more of her friends getting hurt. Dinah tries to comfort her and is interrupted ordering eggplant lasagna by Babs firing Dinah? Hashtag sorry, not sorry in the perspective of Babs. Great Scott. Okay, we'll we'll do the <laughs> synopsis for the next one and then talk about them individually. We have Birds of Prey 61 feeding the game part two, January 2004. Writer Gail Simone, penciler Ed Benes, inker Alex Lay, and colors Hi-Fi. Babs and Dinah continue the conversation from the previous issue, and Dinah demands answers. Babs puts on her best back jerk impression and tells her that she was injured in two recent missions, and both injuries were the direct result of severe misjudgments on Dinah's part. Dinah is aghast at this, especially given the hot spots Dinah has sent her to. So, you know, hypocrisy. Dinah knows there's something else going on here and asks to go outside and talk. Dinah asks if people looked at Babs differently and lost faith in her after she got shot because that is what it feels like to Dinah now. But Babs has rolled away and says they can talk when she gets back. At Arkham, Savant breaks his thumbs to escape the cuffs, beats up the guard, and escapes. Back with Dinah, she begins Dinah 2.0 by cutting her hair, now with bangs, and calling up many of her associates to begin training, like Wildcat and Cass, though she calls her Cassie. We also see Dinah call Dick, and he's surprised Babs hasn't told her they broke up. Whoopsie! I guess that might be the issue. Dinah and Cass train, but Cass tells her that Dinah's eyes betray her, and she knows they are not capable of killing, so they must train the eyes to lie. Babs goes to the Italian restaurant and is unpleasant, she's a Karen, I guess, to the waitress who tries to forward her brother's flirting. Later, that waitress's daughter tries to comfort Babs, and Babs apologizes to the waitress, saying that sometimes she's downright pleasant. The waitress brings some tiramisu, and Babs tells her <laughs> tells her story to this stranger instead of her BFF. Ridiculous. The waitress compares Babs to her ex-husband, rude, and how he treated their developmentally disabled, her words, child and that he couldn't control her yikes what a comparison she leaves with advice and expects a large tip on her way back from the mission huntress is followed by the senator's security and while she tries to lose them disobeying dino along the way hashtag fire huntress she never can and it must be because there is a tracker planted on the bike the senator tells the guys to kill Black Canary, and Dinah actually directs Huntress to an, an alleyway where she can roll down and take out the car with her canary cry. She then cleans them up with some screamer sticks. 
Huntress is impressed and says she will treat her with more respect in the future. Uh-huh. Donna offers lunch, but Huntress has a date with that parking attendant, would you believe? Babs rolls out of the shadows and basically says, point proven, and kind of sort of apologizes. Upstairs, they receive a call from Savant, who's going to track them down. Liam Nelson style. Babs spooks him with her threat of being everywhere, and he runs off. Back outside, Babs says she's going to bring Huntress on, on probation. But Dinah says she doesn't listen. She ignores directions in the fields. Too unpredictable and has a temper problem. And Babs throws Dinah's words from earlier in her face with, you've got to learn how to let the small stuff go. Next, we have Sensei and Student. Okay. So here's the cover to 60. So I like how we're in real time, potentially, because she's still messed up. So it makes sense that we have somebody else in her guise. Pretty good, I would say. I mean, we do have the crotches. There's a crotch. There's a crotch. But can't tell too much about the tatas. So not too bad. And I guess you have some of Huntress's black hair coming out. So does a good job of telling us what's going on in this issue. You know what? If only Donovan were here because he would love to talk about Babs's hypocrisy and the fact that she fired Dinah just after Batman fired Cass. So there we go. I thought it was a bit bizarre why Savant was separated from the rest of the prison population and gagged. And I couldn't believe it was Oracle who did it because that was kind of in my mind of did Oracle do this? Did she? Did she? So it makes sense that it was the senator who had all of this order. So he wouldn't. So Savant wouldn't reveal secrets unless it was to the senator because the whole thing is get these discs. Right. So this is going to this will be interesting to see where this goes, because it's already been two arcs now that uh, these discs are popping up the guard calls the senator to say savant acquiesced to the demands but i feel like this is a leap given savant only paused after creode is mentioned he didn't say that he'd actually talk about oracle so i wasn't sure why that was happening well we certainly have more butt shots crotch shots and men being creeps here especially the security guy saying it was the best duty he pulled Let's see if I can find you uh, some good ones here. Oh, uh, yes. Well, basic. Oh, my gosh. It's like this whole page. This whole page. There's a crotch shot. There's half buttocks. There's another crotch. Man, lots of things going on here. Yes. And he, yeah. <laughs> Am I making you uncomfortable, ma'am? Oh, my gosh. I did tell you, didn't I, when I went to Kenya on the way back through security, I got my first ever pat down. And my gosh, my nipples did not like being touched in that way by a stranger, I have to say. Okay. I feel like this is a Southern senator after he says he thought Black Canary was African-American or whatever they're calling themselves. Good heavens, probably a Southern Republican center senator, in my opinion, just from that. Suddenly, this estate opens up to a safari-like atmosphere, which is pretty crazy. I think it just, oh, there's a crowd shot by accident. But it's just, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, look at this place. Clearly, he's rich. But it, yeah, it looks like we all of a sudden transported from, I don't know, Virginia to Africa somewhere. 
the line about not messing up the costume makes sense once it's revealed that Huntress is pretending to be Black Canary. And I like that Black Canary is still injured, as I said. So it's this comic is running in real time. And later, Huntress removing the blonde wig is similar to Black Canary when she was brunette and, of course, wearing a wig. And I feel like we also had Wonder Girl. Didn't she wear a wig? And is there anyone else? Supergirl, maybe? Unless it was that Matrix thing where she actually turned into blonde. I can't remember. But yeah, it seems to be kind of a standard standard MO. But it's a nice flashback for Black Canary in particular. As I said, I'm interested to see where the story goes with the discs. I think it'll be just, a, yeah, a little while that we will see them. Hopefully not too drawn out. But this book, I think, could probably have many people coming after these discs once they find out Savant is locked up. So the senator is person one, and then we'll we'll see. I think Bab should have tried harder to tell Dinah about the disc. I feel like we see this frequently in media or in real life. You know, if you want to tell somebody something, no one should be able to interrupt you. You should be able to push on and say, no, this is important. I didn't burn the disc. But because she knows that that was not a good thing, I think that she was easily interrupted. Seeing Dinah navigate a wheelchair with one arm is interesting. You would think that she would just be rolling in circles. I'm honestly not sure necessarily how that works. And then, of course, going up the ramp, she ends up falling. This is very interesting. Dinah sticking up for Huntress is nice. But I don't think Huntress sleeping with Dick is the reason why Babs isn't fully on board with her. I mean, that if that were the reason, that that would just portray Barbara in a really bad light. And that's not the type of character that I would go for. Because that's just really petty. I think that there are many reasons why Barbara does not like Helena. I think that could be one of the reasons, though, they had slept together, even though there's that weird overlap with No Man's Land. Dick had been with Helena pre-Babs. So while Babs may have been fostering feelings, I don't know that you can necessarily, because then she'd have, think about all the people that Dick has slept with. She would have to be really angry at all those people and probably really angry at Dinah for walking in on Dick in the shower. Don't forget that. So that, while it may be a reason, that's not the reason. I think. She definitely still feels burned about Helena wearing that costume without her permission during No Man's Land. And she also, Barbara, does share some of the 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 moral, ethical issues with Helena's practices that Batman does. And and I think that probably is the the main reason why Helena is is on her her poop list. She yeah, she doesn't unfortunately trust her. And I think that it's unfortunate because like I was talking about. You know how people's negative attitudes can influence others. I wonder if if she had not had this relationship with Batman and Batman had not been saying these things about Huntress, would Barbara have the same opinions on Huntress that she does? Or would she have given her a benefit of the doubt? I'm not sure. Babs has legitimate concerns regarding Dinah's safety, but I do feel like she's conflating Dinah with Dick or projecting if that is a better word, maybe she's more willing to cut her losses than endure any more pain watching someone she loves get hurt. So she's breaking up with Dick and now she's firing Dinah and and both of these seem certainly (laughs) extreme reactions. I do think the, the firing is more extreme. 
because she just wants to, I guess, she wouldn't see Dinah at all. And she's just worried about her and she knows there's no stopping her. With Dick, I think there's still going to be run-ins, but she just can't. She's trying to, which is hard because she's trying to separate her heart from him. But there's really no way you can do that necessarily. I think she's just not going to see him as much. They won't have as many of those chats, those informal chats. And then also she, it won't be her place but she won't know as much about what he's doing. So it won't be her place to, to speak on that. If she broke up with Dinah, she could still use her as an agent, but that's, that's still not the point (laughs) breaking up as, as a friend there. But I guess it's just out of sight, out of mind for Babs. If I'm to, to get down to it. I think the last thing is just, yeah, I, I don't see how Dinah being behind a computer is a promotion anyway. And I just know that Babs would get annoyed at her. So I just don't think that that would last very long. And then this is the final issue. So again, just everyone knows now we've got Helena and a policeman. Did that happen in this issue? Cass beating up Dinah. At, wait, what did I? I did say Helena, right? Helena and a policeman. And then, yeah, Dick and, Dick and Babs and uh, tough choices. Tough choices. And of course, hashtag Carol knows because Babs is just midway. So, this is a very interesting character study on Barbara in particular and secondarily on Dinah. How does Barbara deal with issues of the heart? How does Dinah deal with being put in time out? We see Babs fail her test initially, but Dinah obtains, I think, stronger resolve. And we see that immediately, starting with a new hairdo. That conversation on the roof is difficult, especially with the reminder of the killing joke. But it's really bad how Barbara treats Dinah as everyone treated her. And so this is a big character flaw and failing for Barbara, but I think at least she does recognize it and she, she comes back for it, but it's a lot of protecting herself. And so that's why she's making these wrong, these wrong and wrongful choices. Barbara says that the birds of prey is not a democracy. And that made me laugh. It most certainly is a dictatorship. That's also how I run my Latin classroom, by the way. I'm surprised and strongly disagree with Babs's inability to talk to Dinah about her breakup with Dick. Now, it does make sense in a way because obviously she didn't talk with Cass about it. I think she wants to internalize it. And we're already seeing that she can't handle some of these intense feelings now. And she'd rather just like push, push things away. But I would expect her to talk to her BFF and not some stranger. (sighs) You know, working at the Disney store and sometimes, well, the hospital for sure, but the Disney store, people would come up and I don't know, they would start telling you all about themselves and their life story. And you kind of wonder, what is that? Is that me? Is that them needing somebody? Is it something about being with a stranger? I, you know, I'm a pretty private person, despite having a podcast, obviously, but I don't tell strangers my issues. You know, I am waiting to, I've got people that I would go to, to talk about that. So this is just shocking, surprising, and I disagree with it. Amidst a world of Karens, many of whom are just, they're just like that. They're just like that, Karen. At least we can show empathy to those people who don't normally act rudely. So you'd think that someone is just a Karen for a day or that there's something to cause it, but you never know. And I think that's an example of what we see here. Now, there's not necessarily an excuse for people, how they have been acting to 
I would say food services people in particular. But as with empathy, we can try to understand, but also contempt, condemn that behavior. So there's a good example, though, just that Babs, why are you acting this way, Barbara? Well, there's some there's a reason for it. And then she does at least own up to that behavior and apologize. There was a weird uh, section in here where Barbara confuses a child's voice for the waitress. And I thought you should probably be able to distinguish a child's voice from an adult. Right. But, you know, maybe she's so wrapped up that she just got uh, she just got confused. I like how Dinah is setting up a training schedule. And while it may seem unrealistic that she can fight so well with the scream of sticks in a chair after she can't navigate a ramp, at least we see that she takes her mission to heart. And I like how she has Wildcat. I always liked that relationship. One of my favorite episodes in Justice League Unlimited. Also, that child, isn't that one girl who will pop up soon called Sin or something like that? It kind of reminds me of her, but look at all these people that she's got written down. We've got Batgirl Wednesdays and Fridays 4 to 6, Wildcat Saturdays 9 to 12, Nightwing, Wonder Woman, Connor Hawk, Mr. Terrific, and, and Scott Free. So she's like, you know, if Barbara thinks this or if I have really been slipping, then I'm going to change it, which, which I love that about Dinah. Cass speaks really well and intelligently. Another reason why I wish Donovan were here to tell me uh, if he agrees with how she is speaking. I like what she has to say, just not how she says it. You punch with intelligence and you block strong and you don't retreat. The problem isn't in your hands or in your heart. It's in your eyes. When I look at you, I don't believe you're capable of killing me emotionally. So we have to teach your eyes why. She didn't even take a breath. I think that that she speaks too well for Cassandra. Huntress sure is acting like Huntress, yes, which is hilarious given the fact that it is Dinah directing her and not Barbara because, of course, it would happen to Barbara and Barbara would get super annoyed. Dinah's inability to run the mission in an oracle way proves her point about not being behind the computer, right? Because she can't help navigate Huntress very well. She can't use technology, but she is smart with how she deals with it in the end. Asks where she is, gets her directed, rolls down, uses her canary cry. And then, of course, we have that pretty badass fight scene, which is awesome that she is using a scream of sticks. One can only hope that she's been trained with Barbara, but who knows? And then bonding over Huntress is fun in the end. And this whole arc, I think, really is a solid development of Barbara and Dinah's relationship, which I love, which is one of my favorite parts. And just the fact that you see, I think how much Barbara loves Dinah. She might love her as much as Dick, but just in a different way. The fact that she is super worried about her and is just willing to cut her losses instead of getting emotionally hurt from something that happens to Dinah. And Uh, You see, I think, also the impact of Barbara's words on Dinah and the fact that it probably hurt a great deal, not only in how Barbara was treating her, but then also has she lost faith in me? And so she starts training again, and then they come back together and they're stronger. So it's like these two are the core of the birds of prey. And I think maybe going through this arc is is sort of fire and now they've made it through that and they're they're really cemented and so any other member that they take on is in addition to it 
but really has to pass through these two. Like, can you? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't think anyone will ever make it into a tri- a trio necessarily. But I think in order to be a solid part of the team, you have to be able to work with these two. And they both have to be on the, the same plane, I guess. Yeah. No, I feel like this was really solid. I think I'd give it 9 out of 10 eggplant lasagnas. Solid character slash relationship building arc. Even if I disagree with some things, of course. And there may be some hypocrisy. But overall, I thought it was, yeah, pretty good. I don't know if there's anything else I want to say about about their relationship, but yeah, it's just a it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And hopefully, now that they've been through this, they don't have to go through anything else. It's been too many trials uh, in Barbara's life. I feel okay. Well, now I'm going over to some listener emails. Melt And I do have some YouTube comments, which I'll go through first, I guess, and then one email. Okay, so first on episode 225, part one, Donovan responds on his own video, Return of the King, and has three crowns. I think I basically said, no, thank you. Then we have... Oh, yes. Now, people troll me, right? I troll them. I troll with love. But, you know, one troll is enough. I don't need one person having three troll identities and trolling me. But that is, in fact, what the bamboozler, right round bamboozler did to me. So first, from his Bagels After Midnight identity, he says, yay, Donovan Grant is my favorite BTO guest star. That seems rude and offensive. So I won't tell anyone else about that. Then... As Harrison Shute, he responds, the sexual tension in this episode is thick. Is <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was supposed to say so thick, but it says t- too thick. The sexual tension in this episode is so thick, you could cut it with a battering. Listen, that's not sexual tension. That's my disgust with him. No, you know, Donovan is probably the only... That's a lie. I was going to say the only man in my life that I would just touch his chesticles, his pectoral muscles uh, without permission. But I do like to um, grab onto Josh's arm. So I don't know. So I guess I have two guy friends in my life that I would, I'm more touchy feely with, I guess, than uh, other people. Then he comes back and he said, as bagels after midnight. Quote, quoting me, of course, how racist of you. (laughs) You know, I had the privilege of having that moment hyped up in personal conversation for days now, and I was a bit surprised that it was a toss-off suggestion on Donovan's part, as opposed to quote-unquote racism. I think Mr. Morgan Grant's mind is instead structured by narrative, and it would be a proper dramatic turn for this tropey meet-cute to instead spiral into a... Cassandra love story. At that point, we may initiate triangle as mentioned. Just you wait until 
the new issue. However, Stella is eagle-eared here, no surprise. As Donovan well knows, too, interracial couples remain rare even today, as if for the writer, there's always a political dimension to each combination. There is, when they're just trying to tell a story. But in the instances where a writer does take the big risk, our implicit bias favors certain pairings while others never seem to occur. As an Asian-American male, it's rare to see Asian men in American media, rarer to see them as romantic prospects, and rarer still to see them paired with non-Asian women. Reiterated sometimes with a celebrity gaffe or an article about The Bachelor, this is an ancient wound that may have healed for me but maintains traction with the incel community. What I'd like to see from this part of the story going forward is Steph dating this Kyle Mizuguchi, perhaps named for Kenji Mizuguchi, film director of The Crucified Lovers, (gasps) he gasped, but Cassandra being protective of her. Quote, if you hurt her, Coyle, I'll crucify you. Uh, that's very interesting, especially in regards to your comments on not many Asian American males being in media. And I, of course, was thinking about this guy, Henry Golding, who seems to be pretty hot right now, I guess in more ways than one, but he was in, he was with two white women in that one movie, which name I, I can't remember, but he was with Blake Lively and Anna Kendrick. So I suppose an exception to your rule, I feel like with Hollywood, if you are not white, it seems like you have to be super attractive in order to make headway it seems like, and then so attractive that pairing you up with attractive white actresses so that you can, in fact, have an interracial couple, then Hollywood will allow it. I will say personally that when I was probably middle school and high school, I only thought, now don't get yourself excited right around, but I thought I would only date Asian men. I only had attraction for Asian men. I don't know when exactly this started. I have to think that it might have been a character that uh, Piper from Charmed was involved with for like an episode, but I, I really liked him. Then I had a big old crush on this guy. I still find him wildly attractive. Rick Yoon. I saw him first in Fast and the Furious. And then, of course, he was in My Favorite Bond, which is Die Another Day. And this guy who pops up, I'm always overjoyed when I see him. I also find this man wildly attractive. So the Asians are still on my list, I have to say. I'd be willing to be in a movie with either Rick Yoon or Hiroyuki Sonata, and I would be glad to be their girlfriend, but... Hollywood's not giving me a call. But I do take your point, certainly, with with what you are saying. And then Bagels After Midnight said something about something. Oh, I think that was a response to something I said. He said, that's no way to speak to teenage me. Well, I guess I just did. And then finally, we have an email from my Earth 2 BFF, Shayna. She says, BFF Stella, I thought there was an issue post-Burnside where Barbara reveals she is backroll to a few of her friends after ditching their plans together too many times to fight crime. Though I can't remember if Alicia is one of them or not. Either way, I'm not sure how Steph knows Alicia because I don't remember them interacting at all in the past. Like you, I suspect Alicia's involvement in these last couple of issues of Backrolls had to do with cross-promotion with the Backroll film, R.I.P., and a 
a weeping emoji. As much as I like Alicia, I think it would make more sense to have Frankie reintroduced considering how involved she was with helping Babs in the past. Agreed. And didn't Frankie meet and work with Steph during a team up at one point? I do believe you're right about that. I, you already know I have podcast fatigue. If I get my energy up, perhaps I will look at some of those post Burnside runs and flip through and figure out where this is. I did recall that the pride issue has Barbara and Alicia, Backer and Alicia working together. And Alicia heavily hints that she knows Backerl is Barbara, but says like, you know, in your own time. But we never cross that line. You can't go from that hinting that I may know, but you can tell me when you want to. Oh, you've been talking to me openly about this? So that's that's an issue if that's all we've seen. You could be right about the Burnside, but I'd have to I'd have to dig back in there. And you know, I don't like the the post-Burnside stuff. I think what really bothers me about the writing of bad stuff and Cass and Back roles has to do with how simplified they feel. All three of these women have had long enough histories that have showcased just how nuanced they can be. I think there's a deep well of characterization that can be drawn on for each of them. There is also a weight that comes with all their past history that seems to be missing because it doesn't feel properly represented on the page. It probably doesn't matter much to the reader who isn't familiar with their histories, but I personally find it dissatisfying. Though with everything now canon in DC, what constitutes a proper or even correct representation gets kind of fuzzy. For instance, Clunan and Conrad keeping their ages vague or even Renee being commissioner. And I will click on this link that she sent me because I scanned through that and I was agog at what they said about these ages. How old is Babs coming from this? She's in her early 20s comes uh, Clunan. And then Conrad says like marginally older. She's like old enough to then Conrad's or Clunan says old enough that it's a little bit older. I think Steph and Cass are meant to be like 13 and 14 in our series. Is that what it is? And then Conrad says, I think it might be a little bit older than that. We try and keep it vague. Uh, Clunan, when we came in, they're like, Babs is like out of college. Is she really saying like this? She's like in her 20s. And these girls are definitely like in their mid teens. I don't know. Who's JC? Somebody just said I had to check the other day because I was drawing a panel. I was like, wait, how old are these girls in this continuity? I think they are like 17 and 16 of that spectrum. That's crazy. That's crazy. Get it together. Also, I don't think I should be older than Barbara Gordon. Barbara Gordon should be my age. She should be low to mid 30s, in my opinion. And these girls cannot be 13 and 14. They need to be in school or else, like, honestly, this is a Batman situation with his poor decision making and Robins and stuff like that. Back to the email. A few comments on a possible romance between Steph and Cass. I prefer them as friends, but I wouldn't be opposed to it happening. If it did happen, I would want it to be done well, and I would want it to make sense for both of them. I don't think I'd want to see it develop in back roles because these versions of the characters feel so far removed from who I know them to be. I'd rather have a queer romance never happen than for it to be done poorly. Not all representation is good representation. Yeah, agreed with there. Shana, you're saying uh, all the things that <laughs> I believe as well. All the best, Shana. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, this is something that I've struggled with a lot. And I've asked, I ask people, I think it's a good question to ask <laughs> as like, you know, if you don't have many conversations, you pull it out on an index card, whether you would never want to see something or someone on page or on on film or 
would you rather see them, but it may be terrible. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of hard, isn't it? Back when I was doing post post Burnside stuff, it, it was so hard for me to read that I almost didn't want Barbara Gordon to be out there, but we made it past and we have, you know, some, some better things. So thank you for all who wrote in, as you can see, if you write on the YouTube, I will in fact read that unless it's disparaging and disrespectful. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to cover some modern quickies, including Nightwing for two months and a full review of Batgirls number 11. And But first, Zias's Radio Hour featuring Dead Man Running by Sugi. <laughs> by Sugi. And this goes out to you, Professor Coca Jr. See you guys soon. Stop it all. Coca did a chunchon in her total bar. Coca sold the monster back in the bitten. Sanere Amukoto Omunde, Mulberry Challenge. Lunatar, Kusungan is had a beautiful night. Sesame on the dome, so good of good yoga. Narmon Chuki and Magic Puchuke, Jemin the Nolizi. This is Sang and she go now you just
Welcome back. So I did have a couple errors from the first part that I need to correct. First of all, apparently I said Liam Nelson instead of Liam Neeson. I do apologize for that. Sometimes I just get going. I forget what I'm saying. And another thing I noticed when I was rewatching part of it today is that when I was getting real excited over the fact that Babs had fired Dinah and Babs was taking a page from Batrick's book. I said that Dinah had sent Dinah into hot spots, but hopefully you understand that I meant that Babs had sent Dinah into hot spots and of course was calling her out for everything. Also, Mama Shoot wrote in and she does want everyone to know that not only is she related to Peter Griffin, but of course the whole family is by extension. So just so you know, Harry, aka Right Round, is also related to Peter Griffin. And I kid you not about this either. Now, I will say I forgot something because Mama Shoot has a glorious catchphrase that I've decided is, in fact, her catchphrase, even though in my presence, she never said it. And I was unable to see the video footage of her saying it. But once I heard the recap of it, I thought. This is wonderful. And it is something that if Mama Shoot were made into one of those drawstring dolls, you know, the the pull string on the back and, and says says something that if you were to pull it, she would say, oh, my God, it's bumpa da bumpa. <laughs> Which, <laughs> oh, I wish that she maybe I could get her at one point to just send in an audio clip. And I can attach it to a future episode so you can you can hear the delightful accent. But that was that was fun to hear a recap of that particular story, because really the, the story doesn't even matter. Context doesn't matter. Just the oh, my God, it's bumpa da bumpa. So there you go. Now, I will say before I get in, of, of course, to the second half that you're probably wondering and thinking to yourself, self. Stella said that her trip to Cape Cod, aka T-Ticket, was X-rated, but really there wasn't too much that I had said, and it's because I was waiting for this second part to come out. Now, first of all, I just want to say that people at large, I suppose, and mainly I think Donovan Morgan Grant thinks that Harry Right Round Shoot is this delicate flower almost like a daisy. But I'm here to tell you that Harry Right Round Shoot, aka the bamboozler, is like a Venus flytrap. And the things that he did and said to me that he subjected me to, Donovan didn't believe it. He feels like I either asked for it or I'm making it up. But I promise you that is not the case. Now, a little while ago on Twitter, I had asked out of context, did right round actually hurt his ankle or did he not? Because it was pretty convenient timing. And the majority of you said that, yes, he actually did. I still, when I talk about it, I say that he hurt his ankle with quotation marks. I mean, I'll be on the phone talking with anyone really. And I'll say, yes, he hurt his ankle while I'm talking on the phone with quotation marks. Now, I did threaten to at one point grab his ankle and see whether he would screech either out of surprise or pain, but I never did. But I'm still, I'm not convinced. It was pretty convenient timing, I have to say. But, you know, just to, if if it is true that he hurt his angle, I do also want to say 
that Stella knows to a certain extent. I think you should trust Stella when she tells you to do something because I was asking at one point about his shoe wear and he said they were pretty old. I'm like, right round, you need to get new shoes. And he did not initially listen to me and he hurt his ankle. And you know what the cause was? The bad shoes. And then, of course, after he hurt his ankle, he got nice and and new shoes. So, I mean, that just goes to show you you need to listen to Stella. But to get back to this X-rated business. So if you think about Odysseus and his men going into the lair and and Polyphemus and everything, and to a certain extent, they, they stole hospitality, but they were given it. They were given it. And then in return, Polyphemus started eating his men. That's almost on the level of what I experienced here because I was, to a certain extent, given hospitality at the shoots. Uh, I was never offered bread, so I'm still waiting for the bread, but I did get kind of the water and the wine situation, so that's okay. But no bread. But we'll we'll say that we have embarked upon a guest-host relationship. Now, you would think as the guest that I would be given some grace when playing video games, but absolutely not. He was a grade A, someone that Patrick would be proud of kind of jerk when we played. There's no mercy. And then if I glared at him, he would just start laughing because it just didn't mean anything to him. I would say Mario Tennis, he was pretty mean about it. He even told someone else that I stunk. I mean, my goodness. Where's the graciousness? Where's the host behavior? I did, I would say overall that Mortal Kombat, I got him back. And any of the button mashing games on Mario Party, I am able to beat many people, if not everyone that I come in contact with. I have a very, I have a perfected button mashing physical embodiment uh, as, as I do it. And trying to think if there was anything else in regards to games. I mean, I already told you about that, uh, the sewer pipe one, and just that I got there first. I should have gotten in there. And there was a reason why I stood up very hastily and glared at him while standing over him in a physically threatening manner. So that that's one thing, of course, the bamboozlement, you know, and then there there were, you know, there were certain conversations. There was one conversation where we were at lunch and I asked him if he were because Hellraiser, I think that's what it's called. Hellraiser was coming out. That is what it's called, right? Hellraiser was coming that the new one was coming out. And I asked him if he were the person who had done the lament configuration or whatever, and he's trying to build his body back up, a la the first Hellraiser. And he had to decide between Donovan and me, Stella, whether one of us would be the person that helped and lured victims in order for him to build his body back up, or would I be the victim? He didn't even take a breath. He didn't let me finish my statement. He said that he would sacrifice me. What kind of friend does that? And you know what? I got a notification as I was sitting at this UVA soccer game that I just got back from that he has already commented on this YouTube video I posted nine hours ago as big goes after midnight. I haven't read it. I'm sure it's trolling, but I'm just telling you, he is not a daisy. He is a Venus fly trap. We'll move on if I remember anything else about that trip and the trauma that I have gone through and I'm trying to overcome from it, I will let you know. Okay. So I'm going to do quickies, of course. Batman 128, 
Failsafe has taken his family, his allies, and now his city. Broken and beaten, Batman retreats to the last place on Earth he can hide, but nothing can truly hide from Failsafe. And the backup Batman has prepared his mind for anything, or so he thought. We go back to his early days and a chilling case that led to Failsafe. So if I just flip through, I will say that Oracle is coordinating the attack against Failsafe, which now includes the Justice League, and Dinah is a part of the Justice League. It seems like a pretty cool makeup. I hope it's the Justice League and not the JSA, but I feel like it's the Justice League. She's trying to boost a transmitter because Failsafe is messing with the comms. We've got some Tower of Babel stuff going on in the middle of the streets of Gotham, which was very interesting. And then two weeks later, we are in a Days of Future Past situation. And really the thing that I just wanted to mention or show is Oracle here being hooked up to something and a neural network. I don't know if this is of her own volition. I don't know if Failsafe has taken control of her. We know that if that's still in continuity, the whole chip situation and that's taken over her mind. So I don't know if Failsafe's able to tap into that. But another big question is just not sure how this will impact bad girls and what's going on in there because. Doesn't seem to be a lot of connection post all the the stuff that had been going on prior and getting Seer involved in the back rolls and stuff like that. So that's all I wanted to say about Batman 128. So, of course, we're going to do two Nightwings. I will say that I don't know the synopses, like the synopsis for Batman was fine, but the synopses for Nightwing are weird i would almost say they're bad like i have no idea really if they're correct it seems like they're off by one and then even if i looked at 97 it said something about babs giving the answer to a question and having a conversation no that happened in 96 so it's just very confusing as always the cover is just amazing but if you recall and it's interesting how <laughs> steph is in the foreground and, and Cass is in the background there if you recall Blockbuster now knows that Dick is Nightwing or vice versa. We've got Blue Haven basically burning down around them. So we are splicing scenes. Uh, we have Dick fighting Blockbuster and then Batgirl is talking to Dick, but also trying to coordinate stuff to get this fire taken out and, and protect Blue Haven. And I do have a comment about that. The people Blue Haven come to help, which is great. And while there is sort of the cliche of like Nightwing or the hero being able to get the comeuppance of the villain, the villain does get back to a certain extent and uh, takes him down. You're like, oh, no. But then Dick is really able to land that blow. And so Dick is able to take out Blockbuster physically. And Barbara is able to take him out with technology because she is able to make a connection between Blockbuster and this private prison that a lot of the mercs basically that Blockbuster was employing were a part of or have some relation and it was just a really terrible prison and so they're like how dare you flip him the bird and and then go off which is funny there's a sensory sense 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 sensorine there we are <laughs> all the censoring right here which is pretty funny 
then we get into this heartfelt scene between Dick and Babs, Beckerel and Nightwing. And he's like, hey, he knows who I am. We can't be together. And she laughs it off. She laughs it off and he says, what's happening? And then she says, bleep that. Dick, I love you. The part of you that wants to protect everyone, but that is one noble sacrifice. I'm never going to accept the danger. We're superheroes. We're always in danger. Darkseid could attack the planet tomorrow. Kite Man could fall out of the sky at the wrong time. Trigon could step on me. And Dick says this wouldn't be Backer or Oracle in danger. It's Barbara Gordon. And she gets that. But it's they're going to stand together in this storm. And she says, Dick, I'm going to say something. And it will mean you have to fight a lot of Bruce's more toxic programming along with your own stuff. You're allowed to be happy. And frankly, so am I. Are you happy with me? And Dick says, my life has been in constant danger for months. I've been shot at, beaten up, blown up. And I think this is the happiest I've ever been. And so let's keep it going. And so they're together. Oracle and Nightwing, Batgirl and Robin, Dick and Babs forever pretty perfect and then they they share a kiss as well and it ends with blockbuster running because of course now he's got all those people that he had hired after him potentially as well as other people will see and heartless finds him blockbuster is a big shock because heartless was dead which is true and then heartless (laughs) takes blockbuster's heart and it's interesting he says uh, i had to modify the machine for your dimensions your oversized heart would have probably gotten clogged in the tubes and he's going to use it so crazy i think that blockbuster is dead it's almost an easy out for dick that his which we'll we'll get to of course in the next issue that he knew and so you kind of wonder what it would have been like had blockbuster still been around and it's kind of like, you know, Kingpin knowing who Peter Parker is or something like that. You know, how do you reconcile that? How do you still operate? But now he's gone. So that was pretty shocking. And then also, you know, that there's an out for all these bad guys and that Barbara is able to make some sort of bad connection that breaks up the the mercenaries that Blockbuster has hired with from Blockbuster. And they're like, uh, uh, uh. So it's almost convenient, but it, it works out just to get, you know, a mono a mono. And then now you get rid of Blockbuster, which is crazy. I will say this bottom panel, just this gesture is something that females don't really do very often that's something that a man does and we have seen i think this seems to be a redondo art choice because we see dick do that frequently and so i think it's just like knee jerk now that hey if someone's standing and considering a situation that they're going to put a hand but women females don't really do that very often so i just found that interesting the fight sequence oh i do also want to say something that i've noticed which i think is probably true this entire run but just in these two issues that i'm going to look at how Barbara wears black lipstick when she is Batgirl, at least according to Bruno Redondo and this Nightwing run, which is very interesting. I think, yeah, I mean, I love this scene. I I think it's really interesting how the things I'm looking at modern-wise, how they are juxtaposing and really working with almost revisiting the things that I'm doing in the vintage side of my episodes. The fact that Blockbuster is really, you know, putting Dick through something, like I said, his nightfall almost in 2003, 2004, 
Dick and Babs have broken up. And here we've got Dick and Babs maybe stronger than ever and Blockbuster again trying to take down Dick and and now he's out. But yeah, just a beautiful conversation. And yeah, Dick, of course, would want to protect Barbara and make that sacrifice. Very Spider-Man-esque. And Barbara's like, nah, screw that. You know, we're going to be together if you want us to be together and and you're happy. And yeah, of course. And so it'll be interesting to see the fallout from this potential situation. And maybe there won't be, which again, you know, is that too easy? Or are we letting them off too easy with Blockbuster being killed? And that what would that, what would those trials have been like that Dick is associated with Barbara? Dick is Nightwing. Does that mean Barbara is Batgirl? And could that have trickled down to more of the Bat family? I think that would have been really interesting. But my shipper heart, of course, is very happy. Okay, so let us move on to Nightwing 97. And this... Trying to think, I literally just read this today. Oh, yeah, it does mostly take place with uh, Maroney here, and that he ba- basically is is telling Maggie and acting like he is above the law. And then she's like, "Hey, guess what? Blockbuster is dead, and all those mercenaries know, and also people involved with crime that have been killed per your order now know. So your life expectancy is pretty low. And so the big thing with this issue is just getting Maroney to like protecting him because they want to work with him and they have all, all this evidence now, but they've decided to send him over to Gotham because Gotham knows how to protect really skeezy people. And so then it's, oh, well, how do we protect him on the wave to Gotham from Blue Haven? I did. What an interesting shot when I was reading this. I'm like, oh, what is this perspective? Oh, yeah, it's looking up through the heart and looking uh, through, sorry, the where the heart should be a blockbuster up through Dick. But he, is it this one? Yeah, where he, you know, talks about he wanted justice, of course. He wanted Blockbuster to be held accountable, but he didn't want Blockbuster to go out this way. And he kind of feels robbed of that justice, which I certainly, certainly understand. There's a classics reference that's kind of tumbling around in my head that who was it? Who was robbed of justice? Oh, no. Oh, I know what it is. It's uh, De Bello Gallico. Book one and talking about Orgeterix, who had decided to create a conspiracy among the Helvetians. <laughs> Let me push my glasses off the ridge of my nose. Decides to have this conspiracy, but then was found out by other members, probably like ruling class members and things like that. And he is put on trial for this. But in order to escape trial, he brings like basically all of the clients, indebted people to him, slaves almost. And he's able to sort of escape the trial and leaves and he ends up killing himself. And the people are very upset at this because, of course, they wanted justice. So this is like wrested from them. So it's very similar to this in a in a way. But yeah, and his sister says, Blockbuster's gone, Nightwing. His hold on the city has gone with him. Why does the punishment matter? And Dick says that it matters. 
So Maggie, of course, is there. And then this is, you know, I wondered, would this ever happen? But yeah, so Renee Montoyer, the commish, walks through the door and nothing there's nothing awkward but i do wonder are we going to have more of this is this just a one-off but seriously two of kate's exes meeting up and i from what i've heard and like seen in media it seems like i don't know if i could generalize and say queer but it because i think like the examples that i know of like lesbian circles seem to be small and that you know each other's exes and you're like friends with your exes and things like that so this seems like yeah that's probably what would actually happen but i don't know i would actually not want these two to get together i think i would feel very weird and uncomfortable if that happened but there could be a weird a weird triangle and i didn't show it but in 96 or was like one panel or so where Barbara or Batgirl was with Batwoman. So she's kind of still around. Oh, yes. We have this where uh, Babs was listening. So she knows that they are helping out and she suggests that they have some sort of vacation. Hey, after we help protect one of the worst people on the planet, what do you think about doing something different, taking a couple of days away from Bloodhaven? Babs, there's a man stealing hearts out there and there's a man who's stolen my heart right here. And then... <laughs> Uh, silent panel and then she's like I'm sorry that was terrible and he said I wasn't going to say anything but yeah I'm joking about a serial killer now I could really use some days off but that's a, a fun panel there so inevitably that transport is hit and there's someone on the inside we have a change in art which was interesting artist I should say and someone on the inside is part of trying to get Maroney killed. And that is when Batgirl and Nightwing show up and they take Maroney. They'll meet up in Gotham and with Montoya later, but they uh, Dick and Babs bring Maroney to one of Bruce's hideouts in the woods. And of course he takes out some other people, but <laughs> he tranquilizes Maroney and then this is, I guess, Bab's idea potentially of what she was talking about. So the Titans have agreed to look after Bloodhaven and Haley three days in an isolated bunker in the woods. This is perfect. And Dick says, really? The mob boss downstairs doesn't hurt the vibe? You tranquilize him, right? Sure. He's sleeping like a homicidal baby. Then it's perfect. <laughs> and then they start bumping boots or uh, bumping, what is it? Bumping nasties? It's something like that. As, as you can see. So just these two panels, I will say I'm only slightly disappointed. I, I maybe would have wanted to see a little bit more, but not too much that would have been explicit. But, you know, those scenes where Bruce and Celine, I feel like that's all we ever see of just like in bed, cuddling, having a conversation. I would have loved that. I would have loved that. Now, this is great. We get the, the beginnings of, of something of undressing. And uh, here we are. Now, it does continue. And uh, Dick comes down. He's happy. Did you sleep well? And Maroney says, no, your tranquilizers only lasted three hours. And this place has thin ceilings. I've never thought about superheroes in relationships. And Bab says, really? You mustn't spend much time on the internet, which is very true, right? Fan fiction. I mean, I am certainly someone who has read fan fiction, explicit or innocent of Dick and Babs. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I also wonder, well, I guess we can 
just assume that there were noises because there were thin walls. We have a gymnast or a ballerina, depending on what her background is. And of course, a a circus trapeze artist, uh, also kind of a gymnast too. So you can imagine that it was probably wonderful. And I guess it was, it was loud. So there you go. And I will say that this whole situation has given me a gloriously scandalous idea for my next shipper spotlight, which might be so scandalous that I can't put it on podcast, but it'll be YouTube only. And I, <laughs> I am actually really looking forward to it because I think it'll be ridiculously, ridiculously hilarious. And then there's a taxi, which is weird. And then this happens. My name's Rick Rayson. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, who? I'm confused. I have to say I'm very confused, but there we are with Nightwing. So a shipperific time. I'm glad that I was able to do both of those at once. And now we'll move on into the main event, which is Batgirls number 11. Batgirls 11, Batgirls Summer Part 3. Story, Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, Art Neil Gouge, Inks, Scott Godlewski and Wayne Foucher and Colors Rico Renzi. The issue opens with a candlelight vigil in the Hill Square in Gotham City, mourning the victims of the Hill Ripper, while a voiceover from Grace O'Halloran criticizes the police and asks the Batgirls for assistance in catching this creep. While the Batgirls monitor the memorial, Steph is stressed about texting Kyle and Cass tells her she needs to be focused. Cass senses fear from the crowd and Steph drops a bomb that Kyle is coming to the zoo with them. Across town, Montoya is having a heated conversation with someone and everything they tell her is not helpful because she already knows and feels it. Officer Brooks has an idea to talk to the Batgirls and ask for their help, but clearly she doesn't like that idea given last issue since he is on the roof alone when he hands data to Batgirl Prime. She slides a cell phone to him for future contact. Babs then forwards this info to Grace for some reason, and Grace talks about it on air, which gets Riddler upset. At the zoo, Kyle shows up with a child, I mean Maps, and the foursome quickly breaks up into a twosome with Maps and Cass going to the bats. Maps has the whole outing planned down to the minute, actually, and Steph and Kyle walking around talking about um, how pointless trying a relationship would be, how pointless even a friendship would be. Okay. Maps and Cass find a staff-only entrance to the bats, and when they look up, they see Killer Moth strung up with his own goop. Cass tells Maps to get out of there, then puts on her cowl, asks for an explanation, which apparently Killer Moth engaged without permission from his boss, and then lets him go while attaching Fido 5 to the back of Killer Moth's gear to track him. Cass reveals to Maps that she is affiliated with Batman, but swears her to secrecy. Over cup nudes, the girls decipher the next riddle, but Fido 5's tracking stops moving, and they rush out to find the location. Grace's voiceover is heard, criticizing the killer and calling herself his new nemesis. The Batgirls break into a building belonging to Hattie Elwood, whom they find in the attic, a la Hereditary, but looking like Norman Bates' mother. More investigation in the building, and they find a board with a picture of Grace, the next victim. Riddler appears, fully garbed, standing above a comatose killer moth, and gives the Batgirls a choice. Save Grace or fight the Riddler, and they both, 
or they, yeah, they both choose both. They choose both. Next, to catch a killer. Okay. If we begin at the beginning, which is, of course, the cover, pretty cool one. We're at the zoo. Killer moth there in the background. Got some moths too as placards. We have Steph, Maps, Kyle, and Cass, and a bunch of tigers. I thought something was going to go on with the tigers, like they were mesmerized. That didn't really happen. But oh, I like the cover. It doesn't necessarily speak too much, I think, about what's happening. I mean, the tigers, I think, is like the biggest uh, what is actually going on. Okay, so just to warn you, I'm going to nitpick the hell out of this, which actually isn't fair because I felt like this was a fun issue, but there are just some things that don't necessarily add up. So on the whole, I thought it was a fun issue, but yeah, I'm going to I'm going to pull it apart a bit. So I will begin with this candlelight vigil and, and just say somberly that I wish that candlelight vigils didn't exist. I myself went to, I feel like I've been to at least one. Uh, the, the one I remember is, oh, must have, oh gosh, I may have been to more than one. Both of them were my time at UVA, but the one I remember the most is after the shooting at Virginia Tech. And that was, I think, my second year, maybe, at UVA. So, I mean, it's beautiful that a community comes together to mourn and to also show that we won't stand for this. But I just wish that the reason behind it, you know, didn't happen. I do wonder who Montoya or to whom Montoya is speaking it seems, I mean, if she's at the top of the ladder, I guess really, what would it be like an ADA maybe or the mayor? But yeah, it would have been good, I think, writing wise to say, you know, to have her just say, yes, mayor, I'm aware, dot, 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 like a very quick little thing just so we can tell. Like, like who is busting her butt over this kind of stuff, which is crazy. Oh gosh. Yeah, I forgot about this. If you look at this, Brooks part on the side of his head. And I forgot when I was showing the examples of attractive Asian men that I was going to show a picture of Coleman Domingo who has, who usually, I well, not usually, but often he is styled with a part. And this just seems really weird. And then it gets a bit better sometimes, but I just feel like this artist might not understand what a part is or in particular a part on a black man. But that is like so far on the side of his head that it almost looks like he just kind of shaved it off or there was some sort of head injury and they had to suture him. And so he's missing some hair there. So that again, nitpicking, right? That's, that's what's going to happen here. It was interesting when Batgirl arrives here, she says the purple is a nice touch. And so I thought, you know, I don't think that's how lights work where yeah, you can't shine I don't think you can really shine a color up into the sky like that necessarily, unless she's talking about like she's being sarcastic and joking that, oh, he set the sky to purple. So it it worked out. But that it was just a weird, a weird line for her to say. I don't know. So I like how. I mean, maybe Brooks is somebody that we are going to see often. Obviously, we won't have this connection between Batgirl and Montoya because Montoya doesn't want it. So we're still going to have her foot 
in the GCPD through Brooks. I'm I'm all for it because that seems like it with with her sliding that cell phone. But I don't understand why Barbara would give the information that Brooks gave her to Grace. I mean, this isn't some crime boss that is operating in the open, but there's no evidence to take him down. And then things are leaking. This is a serial killer whose victims seemingly have no connection to each other. And people have already been warned about him. We've known about him since issue one, since the girls moved into their apartment. I don't know. The evidence doesn't really help anyone until they're DED dead. So I just don't know what exactly this is going to prove. Everybody knows about the Hill Ripper. They know it's dangerous. They know to be careful. Grace isn't telling them necessarily anything new. And just like little, you know, each of their body parts had some sort of clue that was esoteric. Like, this is not going to help Joe Schmo off the street. Okay. So you might think that I'm overjoyed with a slight peach here on the, oh, she's drinking some boba tea. You might think that... I'm I'm excited by the slight peach that you see of the Riddler, but in fact, I am not. I also gross in this crazy image you have here and then uh, all of that blood. I also don't know why above he seems to be maybe sitting naked in that office chair and then Killer Moth is there. So is that Killer Moth's blood? I mean, what is going on? I will say similar to the Birds of Prey issue that I had prior where I criticized Cass's speaking, that she seems to speak inconsistently, that she <laughs> she seems to speak in full sentences and then in sentence fragments, trademark Harry Wright round shoot. I, yeah, I'm not really sure what exactly that is about. So we're on a mission. That's a full sentence. Follow the killer's clue. She's not using follow as an imperative. She's saying like, we're following the killer's clue, which I would say is a fragment. They'll get in the way. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. And then later on at the zoo, it's okay to be nervous. Thank you. What's the paper? I appreciate the attention to detail. I also want to see the bats like what, what's going on? I, I, yeah, I don't know about that. Oh, yes. Uh, Steph, we've commented on this before. In this panel in particular, she looks super unattractive. Look, she looks like she's got a crazy eye right there. She's either had too much caffeine or not enough sleep. I don't know. Of course, the freckles, the nose, it's about outlandish. Like, what is going on? It gets a bit better, but yeah, I do not know what they are doing. I love that Maps has planned the whole thing and she bonds quickly with Cass, even asks if she can be her second BFF. As I said, she seems like she is, which now that we, that Shana had sent me that interview and there's confusion about our main stars ages, I feel like she is... I don't know, 10 years old or so. It's, I mean, she's exuberant, but she's not a child. And she, she even kind of looks like one. I'm, I'm very confused. Like she should be 12, 13. She is the same age as Damien. So that's super weird. If you are a fan of, if you're on Instagram and there is an account called Useless Farm and I love it so, and there is, an emu, I believe. These could be ostriches. I don't know. Called Karen. There's also another one. What is this? Stanley, who's lovely, but Karen is named because she always runs up to the owner and tries to attack her. And so the owner has to protect herself. But 
I'll, I'll, my note says, OMG, Karen. So I don't understand now the point of the library scene in the previous issue and trading numbers and why she was so nervous. If Steph can't be a good friend, let alone a romantic interest, that doesn't make sense. I can't be a good friend right now. Life is kind of hectic. What? Can't be a good friend right now. Yeah, I guess I'm just confused. So now it doesn't seem like romance was the intention. But even so, she's hemming and hawing about being a friend. I'm just really confused because weren't there hearts in her eyes? And also someone... I think having that much trouble composing a text and also constantly looking at their cell phone, that's not a friend issue. That is a romantic issue. So where where on earth is this coming from? And then also inviting someone on a, on a date, I don't even know, in order to tell them that it's not going to work out is also very interesting. I guess I could say it's admirable because at least she didn't do it in text, but I don't know. I'm just, I am wildly confused is all I have to say there. So if we go to this scene with Killer Moth and all of this stuff going down, I mean, I love this team up for sure. Some nitpicks here. I feel like Fido 5 is probably really heavy. He is a form of technology. He is a robot. It's not like he was made out of plastic or what, carbon fiber or something like that. So not only was... Cass carrying him in a backpack, but now she has attached him to Killer Moth, and Killer Moth can't tell that that is attached to his back. Nah, nah, <laughs> that no way. I was surprised that she let him go, but Cass does make a good call because there's a purpose to that. And Babs, you know, is also like, I'm surprised, but you made a good call. So I like that we're seeing. Growth, even though I think Cass is probably the last person maybe that needs growth, but at least we're seeing like, oh, you know, these back girls are in fact capable. But I, I don't know that we ever thought differently of Cass. I think it would have been more shocking if Steph had done that. So Cass, uh, I'm sorry to say this to Donovan here, but Cass has no regard for her cigarette identity. And I'm calling it right now. I think Barbara should probably fire her. So this is pretty ridiculous. Now we know that or Baps knows that she's affiliated with Batman and that this this chick is, you know, some form of heroin. So that that's dangerous and could lead them right to Barbara. And we don't need that. So hashtag fire Cass again. I think it needs to get trending for sure. I do wonder where Oracle is at this moment because she is talking to the girls when they are in the apartment. Not sure if she's out and about. Is she with Dick? We do see her later, I think, actually seated somewhere, but I don't know where exactly that is. <laughs> Was she communicating with them on her comms while in the same area but like a floor up which is crazy because i mean i it's happened to me you know when i was at home you know my mom would call me from the basement uh i guess instead of yelling so i guess but that just seems kind of ridiculous there is a strap on her leg so maybe it's been a, a bad day for her mobility i don't know and then 
there is, I mean, Shayna, get excited, but there is a dearth of purple boxes. I Not very many of them, to be honest. I would say just a couple, that full page and just like one or two here. So maybe we are seeing them leave, leave this. Um, but yeah, I... <laughs> Certainly have some creepy things going on here. I do love that the girls are doing some investigating and detectiving on their own. So I think that they are proving themselves. And we can see that as a pair, they work really well. And then maybe if you want someone to do something by themselves, you're probably going to trust Cass to do that. Overall, like I said, I enjoyed this particular issue. I just am confused at certain choices. I think the Stephanie Brown and Kyle choice is weird. I think not understanding that Maps is not a child, but a tween at the very least would be good. Why is Barbara taking information and giving it to the media? I mean, I guess that way she's not doing well. I don't know. Is that still, is that whistleblowing? Because we didn't, she was going back and forth over, if you recall, on what to do with it. It Should she hack into Gotham? Should she not? She gets it by somebody and then she drops it off. I'm, I don't know. I'm very confused. Why would she not use that information? That would help them to to connect the murder. I'm so, this even, as I think through it, boggles the mind i don't know the only thing i can say and we'll see so i'll give it the benefit of the doubt right now it just seems dumb but maybe she knew oh my gosh what if she knew what grace would do she knew because of grace's personality that grace could be bait for riddler or whoever and then able to catch him from that (gasps) and that if that's true we do have to talk about some ethics because she's putting somebody's life in danger as Cass said to batman you use them you use them so we better be careful about that so i think uh you know some fun moments i think we need to clean up the artistry around stephanie for sure i think maybe uh i'm going back and forth between seven and a half and eight I'll be generous and give eight out of 10 cup nudes. Okay, we're winding down this show. So I do have an anime watch list recommendation, and that is Lupin the Third Part Six, which finished in 2022. And I think with the departure from this earthly plane of Monkey Punch, Monkey Punch, yes, may he rest in peace, that. I think it's the last one that we'll see of Lupin, which is crazy. But 24 episodes plus an OVA prequel, which I do recommend seeing that first. The infamous Lupin III takes his gang of thieves to Great Britain to investigate the existence of the Raven's hidden treasure. The Raven, an underground society rumored to be pulling the strings behind the British government, has evaded Lupin's grasp for nearly 10 years. But finding clues proves difficult when he is pursued by not only Interpol's inspector... Aha, Zenigata, but also the MI6, Scotland Yard, and Britain's finest, the consulting detective Sherlock Holmes, who appears to have his own score to settle with the gentleman thief. And that is the first half of that series. And then the second half is very much investigating, which ties in because it kind of threads through that first half, but discovering Lupin's 
past and this teacher or mother character that he may have had. And so that is also interesting. So I recommend that. Of course, there is the dub and the sub for those. And I really like the the dub actors. So I usually with Lupin will watch the dub on that. And then finally, I have my literature recommendations and whoop. Waiting for it to load here. Okay, we've got The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. And this is, I think, part one of, yeah, Women of Troy. And this is following, I always say, Briseis, who is the war prize of Achilles, uh, basically a slave, and her perspective of what goes on in the Trojan War. And sometimes it switches, like you'll see, because it's first person with her, but third person with uh, Achilles and Patroclus sometimes. Maybe Agamemnon, I'm not sure. But you do get to see what that was like in her perspective. And then continue with that, we've got Electra by Jennifer Saint, who had written Ariadne. And that is in the perspective of Cassandra, Electra, of course, and Clytemnestra. So you get to see, it starts with Clytemnestra and of course her connection with Agamemnon, then Agamemnon sacrificing Iphigenia and then Cassandra's kind of going along and you see all those prophecies that we know no one believed in because of Apollo's blessing and curse. And then Electra is the dutiful daughter that loves Agamemnon, her father and, and all that stuff. And when he gets killed and everything. So again, yeah, female perspectives of these well-known stories. I also read We Are Not Free by Tracy Chi. And this is about a it's a young adult novel about a group a close group of japanese american teenagers who are then interned during world war ii they call them requisition camps i highly recommend that i feel like i've not read anything from that perspective from a perspective of a prisoner in an internment camp in the u.s during that time and then teenagers, which adds a new sort of dimension to it. And I certainly learned a lot about what was going on. And it comes from an author who has, whose family has that history. So someone that you could rely upon for actual information and things like that. And yeah, so I highly recommend that. And the last one uh, that I read is The Woman Who Died a Lot, which is the seventh book of the Thursday Next series by Jasper Ford. And yeah, so I'm so loving those. He's supposed to have put out one in 2022, but I think we are past when it was supposed to happen. So we'll see how Thursday is doing. Okay, well, that's the show. Remember to send any questions or comments to backrolltheoracle at gmail.com. You can also post on the YouTube video if you have any thoughts about Right Round. If you think now that you know the context, whether he has actually hurt his ankle, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. And hopefully, you know, I hope your opinion has changed because he is not, again, he's not a daisy. He's a Venus flytrap. Like the show on Facebook, follow it on Twitter at Back the Oracle. Subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version. And if the scandalous shipper spotlight is going to happen, that's the only way to it's the only way to witness it. So I recommend subscribing. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. Support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. 
Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backworld Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And remember, it's bumper to bumper. You can't you can't get out too well with traffic like that. But until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?